prolific artist released over 100 albums and made aliens' heads explode. Find out next on $1 Vinyl. Welcome to $1 Vinyl, the podcast where two millennial cheapskates discover forgotten music of the past. We bring you all the latest and hottest freshest news of records that no one remembers anymore. My name is Tess and joining me as always is Kat. Kat, how are you today? I am well, thank you very much. How are you? Oh, a bit shit actually. Oh. <laughs> I've got I've woken up with a sore throat, <clears throat> which of course, you know, you can't wake up with a sore throat these days. No. You've got to hit the panic button and go and we all went and got COVID tests and I've been um, hitting up the hot tea and honey all day mm-hmm. but yeah it took me it took me a little while to actually realize that I was getting sick because I um last night I decided to watch Midsummer. finally have you seen it mm, I don't know if I've heard of it what is it oh it's a it's a horror film that was released like I think last year or something and ah. it's sort of already quite culty it's is it it's, based um, on Midsummer Murders with uh that's got like <laughs> Angela Lansbury in it I think <laughs> <laughs> One of those shows. Yeah. No, it's it's um it's the story of a Swedish um cult, oh. and there's a bunch of nefarious things happening in it. Totally fiction. It's fiction. Yeah, okay. It's, okay. it's totally fiction. Yeah, and it's it's not like a a scary like uh things jumping out at you. Yeah, it's like shock kind of like startles. looking over your shoulder kind of yeah it's uh, but it's it's like deeply unsettling oh and, and why would you um, want to watch something like that well <laughs> you know awful. i that's the thing i like watching horror movies sometimes but yeah. i know i'm not very good with them oh. <laughs> for me it's like it's like i know if i eat a big plate of nachos i'm gonna get heartburn but sometimes oh. like you just weigh up your <laughs> options and you're like you know what i've got some mylanta here i'll just deal with the heartburn because i really want nachos okay that was, that's the same with me because i hear about like i like horror film but i know that i'm gonna pay for it with a night of very restless sleep of terror <laughs> and, and so and so this horror horror movie has given you a sore throat from all the screaming maybe yeah well what happens i i you know, it was kind of tossing and turning, finding it hard to get to sleep. And I would, I would, I'm a pretty light sleeper anyway. And I was waking up every now and again, just like with these, these horrific images that I'd seen sort of reeling in my head. Oh, gee. And it just started getting worse and worse. And I was like trying to like consciously like calm myself down. Like I was visualizing peaceful things and I was, you know, <laughs> trying really hard to get back to sleep. And then uh, I realized like halfway through the night, oh, I'm not just like scared. I'm I'm sick. I've got a fever. And that's, you know, when you get a fever and things just start going crazy in your head. So yeah, watching Midsummer the night before just happening to get sick was like a pretty bad move. (laughs) Yeah. I woke up all sweaty and I had a sore throat and I was like, oh my God, this is bad. Not not ideal. No. I I should have gone with a romantic comedy last night. Yeah. But the, like, what's worse, like having things that are already a little bit horrifying play exactly as they were in their head and that in your head, and that is just like the the movie in your mind, or like watching something completely innocent and then that getting twisted by the fever. Oh, true. And so, yeah, like, I, I don't know who's in romantic horror comedies. Like, I don't know Ryan Gosling just like grows a 
fangs and <laughs> just his know. face looming in front of mine all night just getting scarier and scarier yeah. yeah that's true i don't want that on my conscience and uh yeah and how how's your weekend been yeah it's been fine last week i got to see some more live music which i'm stoked about yay good for you what'd you see uh i saw odette who i actually oh, had, yeah. i had tickets to go see her at the beginning of the year and then that got cancelled and um, mm. I've seen her previously and she was very good. Well, good for you. That's good. I'm glad you're getting out and participating in real culture. I, on the other hand, um, am not very happy with myself for another reason mm. is that I am now addicted to TikTok. Oh, Tess. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's so bad. No. <laughs> oh. I, didn't, I don't need another social media platform to waste my days on. It's horrendous. It's so bad. But they're so. it's so good at delivering you their algorithm is so good that it delivers you exactly what you want to see and I've I'm just so disappointed been... in you Tess don't don't be telling me how good you think it is because <laughs> I just <laughs> I don't think I can get behind it ever oh uh, well just don't because you'll just you'll lose your life to it but I do have a few good recommendations um if anyone is on TikTok and wants to look up some good people um, and it's it's music people, so it's sort of tangentially related to the mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm. Um, so one is this guy called Tom Cardi, who is oh Tom um, Cardi is not just on TikTok; he's everywhere. Yeah. He's, yeah, that's right. Like yeah. he's got albums in the in the top forty charts. Yeah, stuff. he's doing really well. He's great. He's got a he's got a song he's, with he's, um with uh, uh Montaigne. Montaigne, yes. And they're really funny. He's like, so if you don't know him, I would probably describe him as Australia's Bo Burnham. He does mm. um, music comedy that is electronic based and his music and his comedy are both really good, which is, yeah. is a good combination for a musical comedian, I guess. It yeah. doesn't always happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, so often like um, the the music is lazy or the comedy is kind of lacking but with him yeah it's i'm a fan i am fine all alone but when i leave my house i become a and so the other um artist that i found is this singer called natty dread um and her tiktok handle um and i imagine she's on other social media as well but it's n-a-t-i-d-r-e DDD, triple D at the end. Triple and D. She's a, yeah. <laughs> she is a Celtic, she's a Scottish singer and she sings a lot of like traditional Celtic music and she she has the the real Merida vibes. We were talking about Merida hair a couple of episodes ago. Ah, so she's got big red curly hair and her voice that. is just fantastic. She's such a good singer and it's so nice. And I've actually looked up, she's got music on Spotify as well. Um, but I actually rate her videos higher than her recorded music because I think she is at heart a, just a brilliant live performer. Oh, okay. Even though, you know, videos aren't live, but it, mm. it gets across that essence because she's just sort of setting up her camera in front of her and just rattling she's off gone. these songs. Mm. Yeah. Hello, my wee darlings. First of all, moo. Second of all, this was requested loads, but there's no guitar, no instruments, just bass. Okay, enjoy. My mother's child is that she looks for her omens in the color of stone in the faces of cats in the fall of feathers in the dancing of fire in the curve of old bones i um actually sat with my daughter and watched a bunch of those and she was in love with them so oh how lovely dread another good tiktoker and after you look at those two people just delete tiktok from your mind it's not worth it (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's get into this week's record. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. What have we got this week, Kat? Uh, this one is called Songs I Love to Sing by Slim Whitman. And where did you get this record? It came from Newtown Vinnies. And how much did you pay for it? $4. Uh, is it worth that? It is not. It is absolutely not. Got ripped off. It is <laughs> The median price is about 2 bucks, but some are going for less than a dollar on Discogs. Oh, that's what you get for shopping at Trendy in the city Vinnies. I know. It's my fault. <laughs> Can I listen to this record online if I so choose? Um, Not this record in its entirety with all the songs in the right order. I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, however, if you look for the individual songs, you can find it on YouTube and Spotify. You just have to search for individual songs. Okay. Uh, shall we take a look at the cover of this record, Kat? Let's. So, so this is a striking album cover. You've got a black border, white background, black all caps title in the top left. Slim Whitman is right in the centre. He's wearing a bedazzled black jacket. It's got white lapels, a black shirt, black pants, and a black belt, which has white stitching. This very strong look is finished by a white neckerchief, which is fastened with a silver slide with a white horse head. And his hair is also very black. He's got these like long sideburns. And I'm going to just say too black. His hair is too black. <laughs> <laughs> Would you describe him as traditionally handsome, Tess? Um, well, I was going to ask you, I was going to say, Kat, do you think he's the good guy or the bad guy in this film? Because I can't tell. <laughs> oh, like, like... He looks to me like he's the love interest in the movie who you then realise halfway through is actually the bad guy. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. Um, and so he's got this... He's been given the direction, slim, act casual. He's got a hand in his pocket. Uh, kind of like effortless smile, but that smile is completely overshadowed by a very off-putting moustache. I don't like the moustache. It's his signature look. He's had that moustache mm. his whole life. He's, how old is he on this um, on this record? He's in his 50s or something, right? Yeah, something like that. I When I looked at him, I immediately thought of this passage from the novel Gone with the Wind where we first meet Rhett Butler. Oh, yeah. If you will indulge me for a minute, I'll, I'll give you a little reading. Please. <clears throat> he looks quite old, at least 35, which, uh, hang on, excuse me, Margaret <laughs> Mitchell. <laughs> oh, shots fired, just quietly. He was a tall man and powerfully built. Scarlett thought she had never seen a man with such wide shoulders, so heavy with muscles, almost too heavy for gentility. When her eye caught his, he smiled, showing animal white teeth below a close-clipped black moustache. He was dark of face, as swarthy as a pirate. And his eyes were as bold and black as any pirates, appraising a galleon to be scuttled or a maiden to be ravished. So, yeah, to me, he, he definitely is a Rhett Butler type. Mm, yeah, 100%. The southern gentleman. And, he's, yeah, his, his signature look is that black suit with the, the rhinestones all over the shoulders. Yeah. Um, it's, to me, it's like it's the man flashy. in black met just a touch of Liberace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. While I was doing like my research for this episode, I had the cover like propped up. Um, so it was sitting upright nearby. Mm. And every now and again, I would just like glance at it. And like whenever I would move around the room as well, I got the feeling that his eyes were following me. <laughs> He's like... looking right into your soul. <laughs> and so to like avoid that feeling of unease, I turned it around to the back cover. But blam! It is <laughs> a huge close up of 
his face, he's wearing the same thing. But it is just like, hello. It's funny because album covers usually go the other way around. you got the close-up on the front and then the back you have something Mm. a little more casual. But this is just like, he is slim and he's more slim. (laughs) (laughs) And on the back cover, his stare is even more intense. He's got these thick, unkempt eyebrows, which I think are just like slightly shorter versions of his (laughs) moustache. He's got three moustaches on his face. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) The, The eyebrows definitely create this like menacing quality to to his stare like directly into your soul yeah um, honestly he just he looks like a creep show well and, it's his signature look he rocks yeah. the same look his whole life yeah um and i suppose you know when you're in the showbiz if you get a yeah a signature it's thing a shtick. yeah you stick with it but i just want to say off the bat even though like that was one of my harsher um <laughs> critiques of a cover <laughs> I think that my first impression of him was wrong. He seems like a, a gentleman. He seems like a lovely guy who, like, isn't really as flashy as what he looks. Oh, yeah. I totally like, in got that. in terms of his yeah. personality. Yeah. He's, he just seems like a nice the, man. The reading I did on him is that he's super humble. A gentleman. Um, he's a gent. He's a gentle. He's a, yeah, a true <laughs> gentleman. But, yeah, he's got he's got a, a lot of on, about him online. Maybe let's take a break and then um, get into who he is and what this record is. Good idea. Now, this campaign that was on television with the albums has been sensational because I've read that you're you're playing concerts all over, you're doing colleges, you're doing uh, back to high schools and... Uh, yeah, back where I started, be. really. And uh, it, if I had to pick any one thing in, in 33 years that has been the highlight, the biggest thing in Whitman career, it had to be last year. And, and it, it had to be the commercial that some people laugh at, but they buy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the name of the game. Yeah. How many... Now, you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. How many albums did they sell? Well, it's it, it's two million and rising. Two million? And, and rising, yeah. Rosemary. <laughs> Welcome back to One Dollar Vinyl. You just heard an interview with Slim Whitman back in 1982. He was talking to Johnny Carson. And uh, that was during a period of his career when he was having a bit of a resurgence, Cat. Yeah, he he started off as a singer like in the fifties and got a, had a lot of success in Europe and the UK, and not so much in America. And then he released these TV ads um, and kind of got made fun of them because they were a bit corny. But uh, yeah, he ended up like coming back into the American eye and and selling like an awful lot of records. Yeah, apparently these ads, they're on late night TV and they they went for like, I don't know, two minutes each. There were those infomercials Mm. and they were sort of spruiking his records, but it was not his old records. It was new records and and sort of repackaging of old recorded songs. It was was best ofs and stuff like that. Best ofs, And they would run like constantly every night. And so he became this household name again just through those ads. And, yeah, people would kind of make fun of him. Like he was parodied Mm -hmm. on Saturday Night Live and SCTV and various other things like that. But he did become a household name in America, which he never – yeah, never really had before, despite having heaps of success in the UK. Yeah, he did have heaps of success. Like, there was one of his um, songs that held the record for the longest amount of time at number one on the charts up until, 
I think it was up until 1993, and he was usurped by none other than Brian Adams. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he that was his like that was the line on the on the ads. It would said, you know, he had the number one for I think it was 11 weeks. Yeah. And that, at the time, that was a longer consecutive number one for one single, and it was longer than the Beatles or. Elvis, Elvis combined or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. And so that was the line that they used. And then I guess all these, you know, Americans watching late night TV with a few spare bucks went, well, he must be good. Let's give him a go. And, yeah, totally. And um, the record started selling like proverbial hotcakes. His very first album is titled America's Favourite Folk Artist. Can you imagine, like, the confidence <laughs> to be, like, essentially a no one just calling your Trust album? Trust me, I'm your favourite. You've never heard of me, but... <laughs> You're going to love me. <laughs> and then he was essentially like not known about for decades in America. I always find it inspiring when I hear um, stories of people having success in later life. I always like hearing those stories. Yeah, absolutely. This guy has quite an interesting life story. His wife, when they were like 15, she was the, the preacher's daughter and they just were devoted to each other up until Whitman died in 2013. He's just seems like a really um, wholesome man. He does. He's on record as saying that he never sang a song that he wouldn't sing in church. Oh, bless him. Mm. He he joined the Navy at 20 years of age, uh, like during World War II, um, and it was actually on board uh, the USS Chilton. And he had a very a very valuable role on board, didn't he? What do you mean? Well, he just uh, he just became known as the guy who would entertain all his his uh, shipmates. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. He, and... Like he found a guitar and he and he started playing and he yeah he he definitely yeah. did that by either singing and... or boxing. Or boxing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's either singing love songs, tender love ballads, or beating the shit out of someone. <laughs> and and so much so where he you know was he good at those things that at one stage his um, uh, captain, admiral, corporal, I don't know, the <laughs> I don't boss, know who his superior was, ship. the yeah. ship boss, um, yeah. he was supposed to be transferred to another ship and and the, and the he said, no, uh, we can't lose Slim. He's he's the guy that keeps everyone happy, so he's going to stay mm. here. And then that other ship. It sank. Yeah, so Slim had a narrow escape there. If you're going to get technical about it, his singing actually saved his life. Yes. So Whitman, like, yeah, found this guitar, but he had had an accident where his his left hand, like, was missing a couple of fingers. He he yeah, used his to work in like, hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he used to work in a a meat packing plant and had some sort of accident. Um, but right. he just like restrung it and flipped the guitar over and taught himself how to play the other way, like the what's called left-handed guitar. Yes, um, and it just so yeah. happens that um a young um. Paul McCartney saw a picture of him playing his right-handed guitar upside down, left-handed, and had a little revelation and said, oh, I can play the guitar like that too. So if we never had Swim, Slim Whitman, Paul McCartney might have never figured out how to play the guitar. I know. Isn't that crazy? He was influential to um, some other artists as well, some other well-known artists. Um, a young Elvis Presley mm. played his first professional gig Support, uh, playing the opening act for, for Slim. For Slim Whitman, yeah. Slim Slim earned $500 and Elvis earned 50 on that night. <laughs> but, yeah, he lived a very um, kind of just humble, ordinary life for a celebrity who, you know, ended up making quite a lot of money. He was devoted to his church. Um, he, yeah, like you said, married the preacher's daughter, settled down to a home in Fort Jackson, which um, 
he called Woodpecker Paradise. And I, I tried to find out some information on that because I thought, oh, it'll be like a huge, big celebrity ranch, like, you know, Gracelands or something. Yeah. And I found a picture of it and it's just a house. Like, it's just an ordinary, <laughs> like, it's a nice, you know, big house, but it's it's pretty ordinary looking. And apparently, you know, I was reading in his obituaries that um, he just did all the maintenance on it himself. He was just like a really down to earth guy. He was really involved in his church. Um, he just, you know, liked fishing. <laughs> Yeah, there was a bit of a, a kind of a campaign. So in the in the eighties, you know how they had that satanic panic, um, oh, yeah. and there was a the idea that if you played records backwards, there were satanic messages. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so stupid. Um, Rush Limbaugh, the um, limbo, 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 limbo. <laughs> <laughs> um, the American DJ uh, sort of spoofed that and saying that if you played Slim Whitman records backwards, that you'd get a satanic message because I guess the idea is that Slim Whitman's so damn wholesome that he was <laughs> the last person that you'd expect. Um, but people fell for it and they started, oh, really? you know, like <laughs> oh destroying my their Slim Whitman that, that yodel backwards. <laughs> it goes from high to low and it's just like, ah, oh, Satan. <laughs> I read a quote from him, actually, that is on that same kind of line. When he was asked how he'd like to be remembered, he said, as a nice guy with a white hat, you might say, I'd like my son to remember me as a good dad. I'd like the people to remember me as having a good voice and a clean suit. And a clean suit. Yeah. I read that too. That's nice. <laughs> and he went to perform with his son. Did you see videos of him performing with his son? Yeah. He sang. He, he toured with his son. His mm. son's name was... Um, Byron? Byron, yeah, Byron Whitman. And he's a dead ringer for Slim. Oh, and he's so? somehow even taller. Slim's six oh, foot two. Yeah. And and Byron's even taller than him. Hmm. And uh, they is sing beautifully together. Is he slimmer? Well, yeah, at the time, I guess, because Slim is, you know, this is in the 80s. And so, yeah, Slim so, is. So th- let's just like change so. up their names. You got uh, Slim Whitman Jr. <laughs> and currently now uh, Rotund Whitman. <laughs> yeah. He he like he aged like reasonably well I reckon he you know he was performing up until he was in his eighties he did a tour oh, wow. in Ireland amazing. in his eighties and apparently I read somewhere that he didn't even need an auto cue he just he remembered all his lyrics just a oh, you know true performer maybe that's why professional maybe that's why he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame yes he does and he's been inducted into the Grand Ole Opry uh huh and he, in in Holland he has both a daffodil. And a tulip named after him, and also <laughs> really, and also a <laughs> species. Feels, yeah, that feels on brand. <laughs> yeah, also a species of wasp. Oh, <laughs> and this guy has it all. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe let's just like go right in because we can talk yeah, okay. about his voice and, and what made him so famous. What should we start with? Uh, so let's start with track one, which is called "When." Sitting along by the seaside. Tasting the salt in the breeze I see the lights of the fishing boats Dancing all over the waves of the sea What do you think of his voice, Tess? Oh, it's pleasant enough. It is pleasant. That is <laughs> the the word that keeps on coming to my mind like throughout this entire album. Like, not great, not lovely, just pleasant. Yeah, and this is a guy in his... Like we said before, he's in his later life. His voice does change over the course of his career, I've found. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's inevitable. He's At this age, he's, you can hear like there's a bit of vocal fry coming in. Yeah, a little but bit. He's, 
he still um, has his famous signature yodel. He was known as the yodeling cowboy. Slim Whitman. You know, we kind of we, we completely glossed over this name of Slim. Like, what even is it? <laughs> yeah, is it just because he's because he's not fat? Like, is that it? I think just everyone in the 1940s had a cool nickname. They were, yeah. they were like Slim or like Red or Tex or Fat or Whitey or Blue. Or <laughs> one, one that I picked up on was... Um, like one of his guitarists whenever he uh, used to sing on like radio programs. Yeah. His name was Hoot Rains. Oh yeah, Hoot. I read about Hoot. Hoot. And Hoot, in fact, um, was responsible. What was his name? Hoot Rains. Hoot Rains. Hoot Rains. <laughs> it's like a wet owl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hoot Rains was uh, responsible for. So you can't hear it in this song, but in many of his earlier recordings, Slim would be yodeling, breaking into that that sky-high falsetto, and um, Hoot Rains was responsible for an echo in this with his slide guitar. Again, like the notes would go right up, and um, they called this technique shooting arrows. Um, It ended up getting imitated by steel guitarists all over the world. Um, and so you'd have, yeah, these these high, sort of eerie sounds of both the voice and the slide guitar. Are you sure um, it's not in this song? Because I swear I just heard it. Oh, yeah, probably, actually. Yeah. And yeah, it was a mistake. It all came about accident. by accident. Yeah. Yeah. He just overshot his his note with his, you know, slide on his guitar one night and just, as as any good artist does, leans into the mistake and goes, yeah, I totally meant, <laughs> I meant to, do, to that. do that. That's and my Slim- new signature sound. I've been working very hard on that. This is what we're going to do all the time now. <laughs> and Slim was just such a nice guy that he's just like, oh, my God, in his head. But outside, he's just like, you know, I think that was pretty good. Let's keep doing that forever. Um, mm. We got a bit distracted. Let's talk about this song. Uh, it was just, it was fine. It's it's just like pretty. I think it's it's got like um, pretty uh, backing band, like pretty vocals. It's just just middle of the road, nice. Throughout this record, we have Mexican inspired touches in the in the music. There's mm. in this one we've got like mariachi horns. Later on, there's a lot of Spanish guitar and all that sort of stuff is really nice. What I do hate is what appears to be like a Casio keyboard drum machine. I don't know if there's it's just like a, a sign of the era in which it was recorded in the 80s where people just get carried away with the technology. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things of just because you can doesn't mean doesn't you should. Mean should. <laughs> I, honestly, I didn't even clock it. I didn't even notice that. But uh, maybe maybe that's a good thing that I just let that slide by. Oh, it was a bugbear of mine. It honestly, it got in my uh, way of enjoying it. Well, then let's, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. What's next? Track number two is Secret Love. Once I had a secret love. So this was a cover of a song by Doris Day. And yes, it was. Yeah, and that was something that she recorded for a film that she was in that was called Calamity Jane. Calamity Jane was actually one of my favourite childhood movies. I watched Is that it over so? and over and over again. Yeah. Truly. Loved it. Oh, yeah, there 1953. You go. Uh huh. Um, not that I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it in 1993. 
Well, then you better tell tell us about the the song in the movie, then, Tess. Yeah, well, it's it's it is one of those um, classic Technicolor musical films. This song, a little fun factoid about the original recording of this mm. song, actually ended up being um, somewhat of a gay anthem. It was ah oh, um, secret love. Is it? Uh, I didn't I didn't like read the lyrics intending. It was just like generally a secret love. But it, was that the original intention? Well, so what? Yeah, so so in the film *Calamity Jane*, there's a lot of touching on themes of gender bending, cross dressing. Um, one of those is a film that came out in 1953, which is at the height of like a moral panic in America mm. that got labelled the Lavender Scare. And what was happening at the time is, I mean, first of all, in Hollywood, it was all just like we don't talk about it. If people are gay, maybe there's rumours, but no one talks about it. Ah. But in the um, you know general America, um, there was a mass dismissal of gay people from government service. So what was happening is there was this idea that gay employees of the government could be compromised because if, you know, if you sort of said, give me those government secrets or I'll, like, tell everyone your secret personal life, Mm. that it wasn't safe for for gay people to work in the government. Um, And so there was just this mass dismissal and it was all, you know, sanctioned and then it started happening throughout all other industry as well. Um, all of a sudden people are saying, oh, I don't want, you know, gay people compromising the uh, integrity of my sponge factory or whatever. Um, so, so it was like, yeah, I mean, a very um, dark time. So anyway, all this is happening at the time. And then this film comes out, which is there's, you know, gender bending. And there's several love stories involved, heterosexual love stories in the film. But the sort of strongest and truest love story in the film is between Calamity Jane and her female friend and this song gets sung at a certain part of the film where if you're reading it with a queer reading yeah it's you could very easily see that she's singing about her friend Mm. so it became this anthem for yeah the closeted um lgbtqi community of the era and and still is and doris day's gay icon i i think it's interesting that he chose to cover this because like Doris Day recorded in 1953, I don't know what month, but um, Slim Whitman recorded it also in 1953 in December. They were both actually like on the charts at the same time. Like he was number two on the country and western chart and she was number one on the like the pop chart. Oh, okay. Um, so this version is a re-record as well? Cr- correct. Yeah most, yeah. most of the songs on this record are like... Yeah, just what he's done previously, which is just quietly a little bit lazy, but uh, I'll get into yeah. that later. Yeah, well, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Like, and because, yeah. um, I mean, once again, I was going to say, I love the Spanish guitars. They're lovely. I love his little yodel. Um, but the, uh, once again, that Casio keyboard drum machine going, yeah, it's like, it just kills it for me. And it's, I feel like it's sped up unnecessarily. Yeah, um, I guess maybe that was just like there, like we got to do something to modernize this for the eighties, the race and pace, like, <laughs> <laughs> like greed is good eighties. Let's just put a little drum machine on there and we'll be good to go. This song was covered by heaps of people. Do you want to know what my favorite cover is? Oh yeah, please. By Bugs Bunny. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> supposedly sang the song in the animated featurette Rabbitson Crusoe. Oh, and who was Bugs Bunny's secret love? I don't know. I didn't look that far into it. Don't, don't well, go Bugs digging. Bunny's this. another gay icon because he did a lot of um, cross-dressing in, in his films. He did, films, that's so true, actually. Yeah. Perhaps it was about 
Daffy Duck or someone. Yep, I'm <laughs> shipping them. All right, let's go on to the next one. Okay. It's uh, track six, uh, I Remember I You. I remember you. You're the one who made my dreams come true. So there it is, that uh, that flip from the lower register to the higher register, which the is... signature Slim Yodel. That's right. It is it is yodeling essentially. Um, uh, some people some people think that it is like going into falsetto, but not really. It's just a higher register. Like he's he's not got that breathy voice quality, um, which right. is what a falsetto really is. Um, well, the whole thing about a true yodel is that you have that very distinct break. Yeah, yeah, totally. The, the lower and the higher note. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually really hard to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he himself sort of said, not everyone can do it. You just kind of have to be born with it. Yeah, which um, I absolutely do not agree with, by the way. Um, you absolutely <laughs> can learn to do it. It's yeah, just I think like... he just couldn't be bothered teaching. <laughs> <laughs> he just, you know, wanted to, to corner the market. Oh, no, no, you couldn't possibly learn. No. It's like what I say to my kids sometimes when they, you know, I'm just tired and they just go, how does that work? And I'm just like, well, magic. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Can't like, be certainly explained. <laughs> yeah, I reckon it's just like easier for him, which means that he didn't really ever have to think about it, which means he thinks it's just genetic. Like I did learn about the human voice at uni and I remember that uh, my lecturer at the time said that everyone does this like quick jump from thick vocal folds to thin vocal folds, which is what's happening um, whenever we hear Slim do it, uh, in okay. the song Happy Birthday. Yeah, when you go, happy birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Famously a song that no one sings well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it only happy works birthday. in a group. Happy Birthday is the song that we collectively as a community all sing together the most, and it is always the most dreadful, like it never sounds good. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It, it sounds the best when it's in a huge group because you get like a bit of a evening out of everyone's yeah, terribleness. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, when it's like five people all sort of singing not only out of tune but out of um, time with each other. <laughs> and you just, you just like at the start, you get a few people sort of going, ha, ah, to try and like start yeah, it. Yeah, that's know? right. Ah. <laughs> like, a, like a terrible uh, tuning whistle. <laughs> that's what you need. You need that like in old movies when they started like a barbershop quartet. And Precisely. Goes, that's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I wouldn't be surprised if Slim Whitman uh, has a recording of Happy Birthday somewhere on one of those hundreds of records. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> this particular recording is another re-record. It was originally recorded by mm. Slim in 1966. Yeah. Um, interestingly, the 1966 version was used in the 2003 horror comedy film House of 1000 Corpses, directed yes. by Rob, Rob Zombie. <laughs> yes, I found that too. You know who's in that movie? is Rain Wilson, um, oh. who is Dwight from The Office. I did not know that. I haven't seen that. That's one of the ones that I... Uh, no, I also haven't. I haven't uh, braved to see. Tess, do you want fever nightmares? Don't watch it. No, just, no. just say no. Now that I know that horror films give me colds. <laughs> it's a very simple love song. There's nothing particularly exciting about the lyrics. It's just, again, it's just pleasant. Yeah, it's an, old, it's an old standard. It was written mm. by Johnny Mercer. Johnny Mercer was a Tin Pan Alley composer and he wrote such hits as Moon River, Autumn Leaves and Days of Wine and Roses. Oh, yeah, huge hits all... that I know all about. Thank you, <laughs> Well, they're all standards that people, just everyone used to sing. Like oh, this sure. particular song, it's been done by 
um, a lot of jazz artists, actually. There's a lot of jazz mm. covers that I could find, like Chet Baker and Diana Kroll, Tony Bennett. It was originally got big because it was in a film called The Fleet's Inn and it was performed by Dorothy L'Amour. Oh. Um, that was in 1942. Um, it's also been recorded by The Beatles and Bjork. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. So, oh, here we go. Uh Tangentially related, Bjork is listed on the same Wikipedia page as Slim Whitman as having a three-octave range. So Bjork, Slim Whitman, uh, Chester Bennington from Linkin Park, Kate Bush. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he was, like, famous for having, like, really, like, soaring high notes. Um, Kate I don't Bush. remember any Linkin Park songs. Actually, Full stop, I'm just going to stop the that end. sentence there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this, yeah, he's still got the, the very famous yodel in this song and it's probably one of his most famous songs, although this particular one is a re-record, like we said. Mm. Um, but this particular arrangement and the yodel and everything, we can't actually give that to Slim Whitman. It was actually recorded in 1962 by an Australian singer called Frank Ifield and he does that the harmonica and the like kind of horse riding rhythm and the and the yodel oh sure and his version went to number one on the uk singles charts for seven weeks it was very um yeah i read that as well i didn't realize that frank ifield was australian though yeah all right let's go to track seven rose marie Honestly, I can't help but laugh every time at that really, really high like pitch change. Marus, Marie. <laughs> oh, there's something like. Do you think there's something a bit eerie about it? Yeah, yeah, I do. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it because, it, like, I shouldn't find it funny because it is like a really difficult thing to do. But it just is. It's just so funny to me. <laughs> it's so dumb. I think it's, it is funny, but it's also there's something kind of, I don't know, kind of eerie and kind of dark about it. When I first heard, started listening to his back catalogue, I immediately thought, oh, this must be in a bunch of, like, Coen Brothers pictures soundtracks. And I, I don't know if it is, but, um, yeah, he was he was used in a couple of, like, horror films. This is this is the song that he like broke the record for, um, yeah, spending the, the most consecutive weeks at number one in the UK singles chart. Um, yeah, when in although once again eight. not this recording, this is his ah uh, yes, he's covering of himself here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, I wonder if this like this wasn't one of the ones that got sold on the ads, was it? No, I don't think so. No, but no. I do know that because of those ads and because of his career resurgence, he did do a lot of touring. Um, around the the 80s. Maybe that was just like released so he had something to sell on the tours. Oh, for and sure. He's just yeah, doing yeah, his, yeah. doing his favourites, like just doing what everyone wants to hear, you know. Well, yeah, like this is called Songs I Love to Sing. It's just literally the songs that he likes singing. But yeah, like that song, Rosemary, uh, like it's from a musical. Yeah, it's from That's an called operetta. Rosemary, an operetta, yeah. Which um, was written by books and lyrics by Otto Harbeck and Oscar Hammerstein, um, which I've never heard of Otto Harbeck, but Oscar Hammerstein famously went on to work with uh, Richard Rogers, Rogers and Hammerstein, and they did a bunch of really famous musicals. Such as? Like The King and I. I've heard of that. South Pacific, Carousel, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. There was just a while where they were the, the only name. 
in mm. musical theatre. But uh, yeah, the I, I watched the original recording from, there's a film of Rosemary and yeah, it kind of sucks. <laughs> oh, does it? Doesn't. It's, it's, this, it's this very like pompous classical singing. It's not country at all. I think that uh, this this countrifying of it on Slim's behalf is was a good move. It It was great. Yeah, well, let's take a break, Kat, and when we get back, we'll wrap it up and talk about our conclusions of this Slim Whitman record, Songs I Love to Sing. Welcome back to One Dollar Vinyl. You just heard a clip from the 1996 Tim Burton film Mars Attacks um, in which a Slim Whitman song, Indian Love Call, was used as a pivotal plot device. Kat, do you want to explain what we just saw? Yeah. So essentially, uh, like one of the characters, like he's a teenager, he goes and tries to save his grandma who has been established as having dementia. Just generally sits in her room listening to her records. All these Martians are essentially killing every single person that they come across. They are not, they do not come in peace. And the army and the president and everyone is trying to to kill all of them. And they're, you know, humans are overpowered by the amazing weapons of the aliens. And then as this kid comes and rescues his grandma, uh, her headphones unplug and Slim Whitman's like yodel is sent out over the speakers and the sound of his voice makes those aliens' heads explode into green goo. And that's how the humans end up winning. Once again, Slim Whitman saving lives, and this time not just his own. Because it's kind of funny because his name is never said, but there's um, just a shot of his best of album, which like he did sell in those TV ads. Mm. Well, those, I mean, yeah, and those TV ads that made him a household um, name, it, it, it definitely, it reached him to kind of a bit of a, like a hipster cult status. He was yeah. actually famously um, adored by the comedian Andy Kaufman. Oh, he, genuinely? Um, like he yeah, really like liked his music? Yeah, genuinely, yeah. And he would perform his songs on stage. Um, oh. There's actually a, um, a recording of uh, Andy singing Rosemary, and he even had Slim guest on his stage shows oh cool i didn't know that that's awesome and yeah. we'll we'll pop a, a, a link in the show notes of that as well so kat what do you reckon about this record um i thought it was just inoffensive middle of the road songs performed by a man with a pleasant voice with a competent band there's you know this thing that stands out about him is obviously his talent for the skillful transitions from his low register to his high register you know his yodeling but I honestly don't think he does it enough in this record where he's revisiting songs from his youth, where his larynx could handle it maybe a bit better. Um, True, there's whole songs where he, he doesn't even yodel. And that's it's right. Like, Mate, this is what I'm yeah, paying for. Yeah, it's, it's your thing. Yeah, and so his voice without the yodel, like, it's so ordinary. It's, you know, it's not unpleasant. Like, it's just super ordinary. Um, and he's picked some fairly boring songs too, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, Like absolutely. the ones that we didn't play, mm-hmm. there's some real snoozers. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it actually got to the point where um, I kind of relied on the yodel to kind of like snap me out of like a bit of a daze or like a nap. <laughs> to explode your head into green goo. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I find like his flashy appearance on the cover really funny because like flashy is not how I would describe his voice um, or the songs, song choices. Um, yeah, I, I essentially describe them as boring. What about you? Like I think he's a he's a he's got a good voice, um, mm. and he's a singer with a great legacy. Sometimes I'm intrigued at his voice that is you know warm, and he's singing these tender ballads. Also, can come across so haunting and kind of spooky. Mm. Um, his younger stuff it often brings to mind for me the quintessential ghost cowboy riding and yodeling forever across the dusty plains. And I'm not surprised that his songs have been used in horror films. Mm. It's got that old lonesome sound, high lonesome sound. But uh, musically, this record is its not my favourite. I, I, it's mm. sort of disappointing to hear his best songs re-recorded but In worse. a poorer way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love the, the Mexican-inspired touches in it with the Spanish mm. guitars and the mariachi horns we talked about before. Um and I also think that uh, I like the chorus background vocals. There's a beautiful oh, yeah, like, sort of 1950s inspired like men's choir sort of backing him up, mm. which is nice. But again, on every song, that Casio drum machine keyboard, it's just pure RSL. It just wrecks it for me every time. <laughs> yeah. I particularly say I only seem to have one setting. It's just that. I'm really happy for him that you had that career resurgence later in life but i don't think the later recordings do him justice i agree i would implore listeners to explore his back catalog there's a lot of his earlier stuff available um on spotify on youtube so yeah that's that's my conclusion to skip this record but go back to his his younger stuff yeah absolutely i agree so yeah i'll i'll give this record to someone else if they're if they're into it if someone has a grandmother who's (laughs) quite into (laughs) Slim Whitman, let me know. I'll send it to you. Or if aliens ever invade again. That's true. Again. Although we, we should probably do one where he yodels more. Uh, what would you pay for it? Uh, it's probably only worth a dollar. Well, thanks for everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to Slim Whitman. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think about it. Hit us up on our socials or on our email at $1vinyl at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, let a friend know about it. Share it on your social media. Next week, we're going to have a listen to someone who's been called the King of Corn, James Last. But until then, as Slim Whitman says, I remember you. Oh, God, that is hard. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's right. It's unteachable and it's magic. (laughs) I take it all back. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.